All right, so we are in chapter nine today of God's Not Dead by Rice Brooks. And, um, you know, I frankly, I don't remember how many chapters are in the book, but um, uh, I, I think we're getting closer to the end. So um, uh, today we tackle, or, or, or Rice Brooks tackles three topics. I think you could kind of take all, kind of take everything he says and put them into kind of three categories. First is, um, uh, this idea of religion versus grace, which we'll unpack for a minute. And uh, the next is the idea of, of uh, this tension between, I guess, what we could call a loving God and a God of judgment. And then the third is, is really, he, he comments on the impacts broadly of love and, and of Christ on, um, uh, the world and, and human rights around the world. So sometimes, um, and, and this is really more of a philosophical uh, interjection that he's doing in this in this chapter. But some, sometimes people confuse uh, religion and grace on this on this first topic. Um, and uh, religion, for clarity, is something that 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 man created, whereas grace is what God really gave through Christ to us. Religion is is really a formal or an institutionalized version of what Jesus was bringing to the world. Um, it's, it's really a byproduct of, of people trying to formalize their beliefs um, and, and their belonging. Um, but it isn't really the, the thing that God was trying to set up when he brought Jesus into the world. And, and if you think about it, as groups get bigger, you know, if, if, I, if I form a little club of five buddies, um, I can I can control and maintain the integrity of the group and make sure that you know who gets in who gets out like I, I like I, I can make sure that the ethos of that group is consistent but as the group gets beyond my reach I I can't do anything and so what what ends up happening is an institution is created and and the institution is is a set of rules and a set of norms and a set of practices and and the institution stands in for the influence and the reach that I personally have and that's exactly what we see happen with the church as as the church grew beyond the disciples it took shape you started to see you can see this in acts when the apostles start appointing elders and start creating this organizational structure and and that's not what god was trying to create but that's what happens as a movement occurs and unfortunately with an institution there's collateral damage there are people that that get um pushed off to the side or get marginalized in some way shape or form in 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 the growth or in the um, expansion of or just in the installment of the institution, it's just it's something that happens and it's not a good thing, um, but it's it's a thing. It, it, it's something that we know is going to um, is going to happen as as an organization uh, begins to form and grow, and so. Um, there's a difference, though. We, we, the the thing that we have to remember, and the thing that people people that push back on religion, and I'm air quoting. You, there are a lot of people in, in in the atheist movement right now that push back on the idea that religion is good for the world. And I think we would be well served to recognize that they have a point. That God wasn't a god of religion. God was a god of grace and love. 
And our institutions have created some collateral damage and some problems. And it's okay to recognize that. But there's a difference between religion and, and, and grace or a difference between religion and what Jesus was teaching. And so Jesus was not installing religion. Jesus was creating a movement. He was, he was demonstrating and giving grace to us. And it's just very important while those two things may be subtly different and it may feel like semantics. It's a very important and distinct difference between religion, which we have created and institutionalized and grace and love and faith that Jesus brought to the world. So that was one of the points that Brooks is making um, in, in this morning's reading. The second one builds on that a little bit, um, but it kind of asks this question, how could there be a God who is both loving and both and, and judgmental? And just the easiest way to think about this, I heard some a pastor uh, describe it this way, but imagine you see a child in the supermarket with, uh, you know, it's a little boy in the supermarket with his mother and he's there in the checkout aisle and he is just raging a fit. And, and he didn't get his toy from the toy aisle and he's he's falling all over the floor. He's yelling, he's screaming, he's carrying on, he's throwing things, he's hitting his mother. You know, if the mother did nothing about that situation, it, would you say that that's a loving mother? None of us would say that. The reality is that mother is not loving if she's not going to correct the child and, and help instruct the child and how to behave. But here's the question that is so, this is kind of a difficult question to answer if you've never thought about it. But what makes her correction of that child either right or wrong? Like in other words, um, how do we know you know, what, what's the determining factor in whether um, the mother is loving or not loving when she corrects that child? And again, if you've never really thought about this, 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 is, a, uh, this is a tough question, but I'll, I'll tell you the answer. If you think about it, eventually you're going to come to a place where you realize the answer to this question is, um, for whose benefit is she doing the correcting? So as parents, we are, we are, given the task of raising our our child our children to be um, responsible, um, well functioning, and um, you know well equipped, um, joyful individuals for the world when they come out of our care. That that's what we're that's what we're we're instructed. Or it's basically our job is is to, is to raise them in that manner where they're well functioning, responsible adults that are you know, hopefully joyful as they go out into the world. And if the mother allows her child to carry on, she, she should know that that's not going to lead ultimately to that end result. So if she's going to correct that child, the thing that makes it good or bad is her motivation. If her motivation is for the child's benefit, good. If it's for her own benefit, because she just doesn't want to be embarrassed in the supermarket, then that's self-serving and that's not as good. Now, granted, I say that I'm not judging her if she if she doesn't want to be embarrassed because I have two kids and I, I get it. Uh, but the point I'm making is the ultimate motivation for our parenting guide uh, guidelines are going to be: Are we doing it for the child's benefit or for our benefit? And a parent that does it for the child's benefit is both loving and doing the right thing. So if we turn to God and we say, "Okay, God had the world just the way He wanted it." in the garden, and then Adam and Eve messed it up. Would a good God really not judge that? 
Now, we can get into an argument about whether or not we think God has gone too far or whether God should, you know, shouldn't have done it this way. He should do it this way. But now we get back to the same thing that we, you know, said that we've said several times in all these uh, journalings through this book is that the God who created this world is not confined by the boundaries of this world. So therefore, your thoughts and my thoughts about what God could or should or would do or whatever, they're kind of irrelevant because God made us. God knows more than us. We don't know what we don't know. So it's not reasonable. It's not even philosophically reasonable for us to think we can judge whether or not God's doing it the right way. The only thing we can say firmly is that if God didn't judge the world, he couldn't be loving. And it's the, we know that because we are confined by the same uh, guidelines in our own world. And so it is reasonable and a byproduct that a loving God would also be a, a God who judges his creation. So those two things are not juxtaposed. They're actually complements to each other. And then the last issue is real, real simple and it's quick. Um, the last one is this, this issue of, um, you know, uh, human suffering. Um, and, and you don't have to be a biblical scholar to realize that the last 2000 years, the value of a human life has greatly been elevated. And it could be that we have philosophically just developed to a point that we value a human life more than we did 2000 years ago. That's reasonable to, to think. But the more likely assumption is that God introduced through Jesus into this world an understanding of the value of a human life. And um, it's Christianity, it's the movement of love and grace perpetuated by Christ that's done that. That's the much more likely um, explanation, in my opinion. So a longer message today, but hopefully, hopefully good stuff. Um, it was a great chapter. 